As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, and this feels good to say. Joined, as always, by Paul Tenorio, his grand return to the formal podcast. We've done, we've messed around. We've done some live rooms on The Athletic here over the last couple of days. Uh, but Paul is back, and so is the U.S. men's national team. Paul, welcome, buddy. I hope you had a restful start to your paternity leave. Yes. No, uh, I think it's time for Joe to hit the Welcome Back Cotter theme song. Here I am. I'm back. I have big shoes to fill. The guest hosts that you've had on have done a fantastic job. I, I quite enjoyed the last show with Bobby Warshaw. So I've got, I've really got to up my game here. A lot of compliments for Bobby. And so I hope I bring it. There were a lot of compliments. Not 100, not universal praise but you know we we don't need to talk about that um <laughs> you do you, you do need to bring it this episode uh the u.s men's national team sort of brought it on thursday night uh they won they beat el salvador one nothing in columbus ohio you and i were at lower.com field for the game uh the weather held up it was not that cold uh it snowed for a couple of hours in the afternoon but none of it stuck and, and it stopped before the game began so all of those concerns didn't come to pass uh, for this one, um, but it wasn't really all that convincing of a performance for the U.S. In the end, though, that doesn't matter all that much. They are now in second place. They remain in second place in qualifying with 18 points through nine matches, two points per game, one point behind first place Canada, who they will play in Hamilton, Ontario on Sunday, of course. And there's been a little bit of separation as well in the octagonal thanks to Costa Rica, who beat Panama 1-0 on a goal from the legend Brian Ruiz. He's 49 years old, still out here scoring goals in World Cup qualifiers. Um, and so Panama is now five point or four points back of the U.S. That scenario we outlined earlier in the week, Paul, about the U.S. maybe qualifying at the end of the window, still alive. Still I believe I be tough, I believe I dubbed it the Lloyd Christmas 
scenario. The Lloyd Christmas, yeah. So you're saying there's a chance. Indeed. I mean, I don't really I think you think that there's more of a chance than I do, but there's hey, a whatever. There's it's not a it's not even like a Lloyd Christmas chance at this point. It's two Panama losses, two Pan two US wins and like a a loss by Costa Rica at Mexico and a a draw at Jamaica for the U for Costa Rica like that. None of those results are outlandish or impossible. The toughest one is probably the U S winning on the road at Canada, which is a doable task. It is a doable task. Although Canada, they went down to Honduras and won two nothing. I mean, we didn't watch the game, but it seemed pretty comfortable. From, I'm not saying that it's like an easy task. I'm just saying it's not like this is like a point zero 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 one chance course, of happening. Of course, of course. Anyway, we don't need to talk about that right now. Let's talk about this game, man. Uh, first half, U.S. played decently well. Created a lot of half chances. Created one very much full chance that Jesus Ferreira somehow missed. That was kind of the big storyline entering the game that Jesus Ferreira got the start at striker over Giassi Zardes and Ricardo Pepe. Zardes came in for him late in the match. Pepe didn't even get off the bench in this game, which is interesting. Um, he missed a huge opportunity on the doorstep. And I think what the 19th minute or thereabouts, uh, the U S had some good looks, for before and after that but weren't able to convert anything they came out in the second they started brightly and anthony robinson got them on the board uh with a nice goal in the 52nd minute Yunus musa almost made it two nothing in the 55th and after that it was kind of sloppy kind of choppy they didn't do a great job of kind of closing out the game i thought they let el salvador hang around and el salvador was organized and they made things difficult, so credit to them for that. Um, but this, I think, in the end, was a far more talented, far better U.S. men's national team. Not at its best, but did enough to win. Um, and, you know, they'll have to up their game if they're going to want three points on Sunday. But on the night, you know, did enough. So not one to be overwhelmingly pleased about, but you got the three points. Yeah, that's kind of how I think about it. I think the last half hour, to your point, Sam, was probably the most disappointing half hour for me of the game. You know, and I and I even give them the the goal happened what in the fifty second minute. So give them the next ten minutes to keep the energy up, try to score again, try to put the game away with another goal. I get that, but at a certain point in that game, they needed somebody to step on the ball a little bit, to slow things down, try to control the game with tempo and passing and movement because they were the better team and El Salvador wasn't threatening them. And instead, they continued to try to play quickly and vertically and create more chances, which I thought was certainly the directive coming out of halftime from Greg Berhalter because they needed to do that more often than they did in the first half. But at a certain point, you've got to try to slow the game down when you have that lead. And, you know, El Salvador never created a chance that really really should scare should have scared the u.s i think they finished with like 0.2 expected goals which gives you an idea of how little they generated but it allowing the game to be wide open i think allowed us all to feel like oh something could potentially happen badly and or something bad could happen i guess is a better way to say it it's late it's late and, you haven't podcasted in a while. Well, we, you know, this is this is what we talk about whenever I'm on the show. I I, I don't speak good. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, Sam. When I look back at the first half, like I thought for good chunks of the first half, they were clearly the better team. They created multiple chances that should have been goals, in my opinion. 
and they were the better team the whole night. Yeah. It was disappointing that it was, it was just kind of a nothing. weird it was just kind of a weird night in general, I felt. And and I wrote this in an initial draft. It didn't end up in my final piece that I wrote for the Athletic. But you know, the build up to this one, whether it was because it was against El Salvador and they only had six points and were in seventh out of eighth team eight teams, or whether it's because we were back in Columbus again for the second time in three months, it just felt like the enthusiasm for this game wasn't really there like it had been for any of the other qualifiers, I would say. Um, and, and, and I thought that kind of, I don't know, I thought it kind of bore out in the first, in the first, really throughout the entire game for the U S you know, they've never really fully got into rhythm. Um, and again, you survive a night like this, right? That's fine. Uh, I think the game would have changed significantly had Ferreira put that chance away. Um, but yeah, this is, it was kind of underwhelming, like all the way around, for me and it didn't really feel like a qualifier man like it was strange i don't know something a little off about the vibe tonight yeah i mean i wrote i told you this when we were leaving the press box like i felt like my story kind of was a negative story after a win because i wrote about how the u.s still doesn't really have a go-to goal scorer they needed jesus Ferreira to finish that chance and pepe in his first couple games was incredible three goals but hasn't scored in a while and Jossie, we kind of know Jossie's ceiling, and Josh Sargent we haven't seen in a long time, and Daryl DK hasn't been a part of the World Cup qualifiers at all, and Jordan Pifok, you know, he got over 100 minutes and he never scored, and and you know they're going to need a number nine eventually, and now now that the results went the way that they would have hoped, and now that we're starting to feel confident enough to start peaking towards Qatar, yeah. I'm not saying you're like looking, but you're peaking, man. You're- I mean, at this point, it would be a catastrophic disaster yeah I, but make it you're gonna need a number nine and and yeah credit to the u.s they've scored 13 goals second in the group behind only canada which if there's a sense of jealousy if you're a u.s fan watching canada it's not just that they're like a fun and exciting team like there are fun and exciting aspects of the u.s too they have jonathan david and kyle laren in addition to alfonso davies and tejan buchanan and anyone else they have two really good strikers, including one who is going to probably go on a, a huge money move to Arsenal or somewhere in the Premier League. And and again, it's not like the U.S. doesn't have those types of players. Like Christian Pulisic went for an enormous amount of money. Weston McKinney is now untouchable I mean, for Juventus, talk about, talk which is about crazy. Arsenal. You know, <laughs> they just sold U.S. Matt just Turner, sold their, man, a goalkeeper to Arsenal. <laughs> Brendan Aronson. His club is turning down $27 million offers for him, and he didn't even start tonight. So, uh, you know, the U.S. has these players to be exciting about, but when you lack that goal scorer, I think it it puts a big onus on kind of the everyone else to create and and have non-goal scorers, or or I don't want to say non-goal scorers, but kind of the tertiary players, the outside Not strikers. Yeah. The guys who are supposed to be <laughs> the creating are goals supposed to, score. to be the guys scoring yeah. goals. Right. And, and so far it's worked because they've had Anthony Robinson, who you wrote a lot about tonight, scoring goals and Sergio Dest has scored Weston and Christian both had a goal against Mexico and Brendan Aronson's been very good. And Tim Weah, but why didn't tonight feel comfortable? Because they don't have a goal score yet. Yeah. It just yeah. hasn't happened. It's funny, you know, Greg Berhalter, after the match, he, he got asked a lot about Anthony Robinson. <laughs> and in one of the questions, he responded by saying that we call our fullback group our superpower because these guys really rack up the goals and assists. And if you look at them, you know, Robinson has two goals in qualifying. Dest has a goal, a uh, good number of assists from those two. And I, th- I think Yedlin has one. 
as well. Um, so that position has produced. And, and we were kind of joking around during the game after Robinson scored. <laughs> and I was kind of like, you know, it's a little strange that two of the better finishers on this team are, are fullbacks. Like, that's a bit bizarre. That's not something you really hope for or dream of. It's not a bad thing for the fullbacks. Don't get me wrong. You love the, that they're able to do those things. Um, but you would also love a little bit more from the guys up top. Um, so anyway, I don't know. Let's, let's talk, let's start with positives because it was a win, right? So let's, let's kind of run down individual performances that you thought were good. We can, we can even go all the way from back to front and just run down the entire 11 if you want to. Um, Matt Turner didn't have to do anything. <laughs> uh, he got to sign an Arsenal jersey after the game, which was a cool little moment that was caught on camera. So that was kind of nice. Uh, but let's, let's go through the back four, Paul. I mean, Robinson, Burhalter's man of the match. Hard to disagree with that, I think. Yeah, I think Anthony Robinson certainly deserving of the man of the match. He created chances. He was always, you know, making those runs down the left side. Um, was one of the more dangerous players for the U.S. Obviously, and I thought I thought when you look at the back line, Chris Richards, I thought had a good game. Um, wasn't really called on to do much. Walker Zimmerman wasn't really called on to do much. He had a chance on a header. I don't, did he have a chance on a eh. header? Not really. Not no. really. He 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 didn't really have to do much. Serginio Dest, I thought was you know was typical Serginio, um, you know doing some things that made you, yeah, a lot of oohs and ahs. Yeah, yeah. There was that one little quick touch, and 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 Sam, you like fell out of your chair. You were like, it's just ridiculous that he does stuff like that. But that's that's what he does. Um, so for me, when I I'm gonna kind of just go through and say my bat my my standouts at each line. Matt Turner, like you said, did nothing. Anthony Robinson, the standout on the back line. I thought Tyler Adams was the standout of the three midfielders tonight. And, you know, when it went to the forward line, I would say that, man, I, I guess. Weo was decent. I thought Weo was the best of the forward line. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I actually decent. think Jesus Ferreira had a good performance in terms of his ability to connect and do those other things. But ultimately, I'm sorry, ultimately, you you do judge a goal score or number nine by goal, scoring goals, and I will say, and I probably should have written this in my piece, but if we look it's back, it's not too late, Paul. <laughs> it's too Hit late. it in the commercial it's, break. It's literally too late. <laughs> I, if we look back like early days of Greg Berhalter, he has said in the past, like ultimately this this team is built to get chances for the number nine, and my, I want my number nine scoring goals, and that's how I look at them. So. I I can't throw Jesus Ferreira out there as like my top performer in the forward line. I think I think Tim Way is deserving of that. Yeah, and he did a good job to create the goal. Really smart little turn on the long ball over the top that McKenney played, beat his man, went in on goal, fired a nice shot in that was saved, and then rebound out to Ferreira. I guess credited for an assist, Jesus Ferreira. Um, we got to give him some love for that. Who headed it out in the direction of Robinson? A few other guys took cracks at it and missed. And Robinson with a with a nice little finish to give the U.S. the advantage. Um, I do want to spend a little time on Anthony Robinson because to me this is a pretty interesting player uh, from where he was and where he is now. You know, you think back even before Burhalter took over in 2019. You know, Robinson got his first caps under Dave Sarajan, and he played I think a handful of games, six or seven under Sarajan. And a few of them you're watching and, and granted, you know, he's playing against Colombia or Brazil or Mexico in some of these matches, but you're watching and you're like, what's going on here? This isn't good enough for the international level. And then Burhalter comes in and Robinson's first cap under Burhalter 
is the Jamaica friendly before the 2019 Gold Cup in DC. Paul, were you were you at that game? I was, yeah. Okay, so you probably remember it better than I do, but it was a loss for the U.S. It was not pretty, and Robinson started, and, well, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, he wasn't good. I mean, no one was good for the U.S. in that game. It was a really ugly game. It was slow. It was it was really a bad performance all the way around that game. But Anthony Robinson was not good, and he hadn't been good. Like, the Colombia game, the Brazil game, Mexico game, like, he had not been good. It wasn't just that he, like... Like, you kind of made it seem like he just wasn't up to snuff on the international. Like, he was bad in those games. He was getting roasted. And and you just didn't see a lot out of him to justify being there. And I think that you know, I was really low on him. <laughs> like... I was too. I was getting I was getting crushed in the comment section of the athletic constantly for my roster predictions and leaving Anthony Robinson off and not having him ranked high enough in my depth charts or whatever, my tiers that I had. But he he hadn't done anything to deserve it. And I I you know, I put my hand up when he when he started to play well at the start of this qualification cycle because he grew. He did. He did. And and he, really did. he grew at the club level. With, with strong performances in the championship and then moving up to the Premier League um, with Fulham and now back down in the championship. But he, he has grown as a player and he's, you know, he still is not like a... He's not perfect. He's not a perfect player, obviously, but he has been good for the U.S., consistently good for the U.S. Yeah, there's no doubts about who the starting left back is on this team. That's for damn sure. You know, he's been capable defensively and he's shown that he can be a plus in the attack. Right. And, and and he really does a good job. He's a threat over there. He pins the opposing winger and the opposing right back back because they have to pay attention to him. And the thing that he's really good at, and I think we've talked about this on the show, and I wrote a throwaway line kind of about it in this piece. Well, actually, not a throwaway line. It doesn't matter. He's really good at that back post run. You know, he's not great in build up. That's what he, that's what he does. I mean, but, but like you, you build down the right and he's going to cruise on up there. And he's got the speed and the fitness to do it all day. Run up and down, run up and down. And most of the time, it ends in nothing, right? The ball will go out of bounds. The team will lose possession. There will be a foul. And he'll just have to track back. But sometimes, like tonight, it ends with the ball on his foot and him blasting one into the net. And that's obviously really, really valuable. So I think, I don't know, I think he's a good kind of personification, sort of with the growth of the team. And, and, you know, feeling a little bit more comfortable in this style and this system, not perfect by any means, a lot of room to grow, right? Like a lot of room to grow. The El Salvador team, they're well coached and they're organized and they make it difficult, but they're not talented compared to the U.S. Like they're not on the same galaxy. But they weren't on the way. field tonight either. They really weren't. It was not as close as the score. Like they didn't, they didn't have one chance. No, that really scared anyone. Yeah. And, and but the U.S. didn't put them away and never got into rhythm. Right, so again, a lot of room to grow for this team, um, and and they're going to need to grow quickly ahead of that match in Ontario on Sunday. Paul, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. I want to talk about Christian Pulisic. Stay with us. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. We are talking about the U.S. men's national team and their 1-0 qualifying win in Columbus over El Salvador. We talked about the man in the match, Anthony Robinson. Now let's talk about somebody who wasn't at his best tonight. I think it's fair to say. Christian Pulisic. He entered camp kind of in a weird place. You know, our colleague over in the UK, Liam Twomey, and forgive me, Liam, if I mispronounced your last name, uh, he wrote a piece on Pulisic and kind of his situation at Chelsea. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, he's not a regular starter under Thomas Tuchel there. And they play in a 3-4-2-1. They don't really have natural wingers. Pulisic has bounced around the lineup. Sometimes he's playing as an attacker. Sometimes he's played as a wingback. He's played as a false nine here and there. Uh, he's not starting very regularly, and it's just kind of a difficult spot that he's in, particularly considering how much they bought him for. And so he came into U.S. camp, and he sort of talked about that on Wednesday, the day before the game. He he had a press conference, and he talked about he was pretty honestly, Paul. Like you know, he's I, I hesitate to be public with this stuff um, because all these guys are so young. But he's not that interesting of a quote most of the time. I thought on Wednesday he was more introspective and honest by a lot than he usually is. And and he was pretty forthright. He was saying, you know, this has been hard for me at Chelsea, and it's not ideal, and it's not what I want. But I'm excited to be back here with the national team where I can play in the position that I like on the wing and where I can be with my friends and where I can enjoy my football again. And... You know, he got the captain's armband. Um, Tyler Adams had been wearing it quite a bit over the course of the first eight qualifiers. And you're kind of looking to him and you're saying, okay, you're going to pop tonight? And he very much did not. What did you think of his performance, especially considering that context I just gave with him coming in? Yeah, I think it, I think it spoke to all of that. It, he doesn't look like he's having fun still. Like, even in this game tonight, like, he didn't look like he was enjoying himself. And I think he is... You can see in his performances that he is still trying to figure things out. Like, he's not just attacking. He's not playing free-flowing. Like, we talked about, like, the way Sergio Des plays and the way Yunus Musa plays. Uh, we were talking about it in the press box as the game was happening. They kind of just go with it. And Christian doesn't, and I think he overthinks things, too. Whenever he was on the ball, I think that's the reason why he turned the ball over so often. Because he... He didn't really have ideas when he was on the ball. He was kind of dribbling and trying to figure it out as he went. And I think that's kind of been how he's been playing with the U.S. And the exception to that was in the Mexico game. He came on as a sub and he knew he had one task, which was like get in the box and score. And he did that. And I I think he's been struggling to kind of just fully enjoy what he's doing and and, and to fit into the system like – he wasn't staying – Greg Berhalter talked about this after the game. He wasn't staying as high as he needed to stay 
to try to create some of the space and the opportunities that the U.S. was able to create on the right where Tim Weah was doing that. And part of that's by design. I think part of that they do want Christian coming in inside and getting the ball more. Anthony Robinson talked about that, how his job was to overlap Christian Pulisic and get high when he when he comes down to get on the ball. But I think overall they 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 do want Christian to create some of that verticality, to create some of that space that we've seen be so effective on the other side of the field. And he just I just feel like he just doesn't look fully comfortable. He doesn't look confident. Right? It looks like he's searching for something. Right? It's almost like, you know, it's like a hitter in a slump or a golfer that, that can't hit a drive straight. You know, you're trying really hard. You're pressing a little bit. That's kind of the sense I get from him. Uh, and, and he was pulled around the hour mark. You know, you could tell he's coming off the field and he was frustrated. And it seemed like he was frustrated with his own play. You know, I don't think he was frustrated about being taken off. Of course, he would have loved to stay on, but he came off for Aronson and he seemed kind of pissed. And, you know, we'll see. I'm sure he'll get another opportunity on Sunday at Canada. But, man, like... If he could figure it out, then some of those worries that, that we outlined at least a little about the number nine position are allevi- alleviated because he's scoring goals and he's creating chances. Um, and, and, and so we'll see. You know, he's good enough where he can switch it on at any moment, right? And, and kind of turn a game on its head. But the U.S. kind of need more from him. There's 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 a weird place that Greg Berhalter is in because I think part of what you have to say to Christian is be more aggressive. Embrace your role. And and be more aggressive and go try to create and score goals. But Christian also seems like he's when, – when you tell him that, he's trying too hard. Like he doesn't interpret that as playing soccer and creating chances through his movement and his running and getting in behind the line. It's like he thinks he needs to get on the ball and dribble through eight guys in order to create the chances. And it leads to these moments where – Sometimes he seems dangerous, something dangerous is going to happen, and then it doesn't come off. Or, you know, sometimes he dribbles himself into trouble. It's just like he's trying too hard in some ways. And I feel feel for him because I think it's part of it is trying to give himself the confidence back and to be the guy that everyone wants him to be for this national team. That thing that he was talking about in the press conference of the pressure of the questions asked of him. Are you happy at Chelsea? Are you playing well? Are you going to be the guy who carries this team? And he he feels it. He and feels you can that way. See it. Yeah, you can see it. Yeah, and it manifests on the field, right? So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see if he can shake that. I think a more positive or a better club situation for him would help in that regard. If he could come in and, and just kind of be in rhythm and be confident, um, I wouldn't be shocked if we got that over the summer. <laughs> uh, if maybe he moved on from Chelsea, just considering how things are going there. Uh, but we'll see on that front um elsewhere i mean i feel like we covered a decent amount of the guys one thing that greg berhalter pointed out and he highlighted tonight was that he wasn't really pleased with how connected or unconnected i guess the midfield was in their pressing in particular and not just the midfield but the entire team um he thought they were a little bit off in that way and that they weren't able to kind of turn el salvador over in good places and when they did turn them over they weren't in good spots to take advantage of it um so that's something to watch for for sure against canada on sunday um i didn't think the midfield was great tonight like i really didn't you know like mckenny had some moments in the first half i thought he was pretty good but they didn't really influence the game in the way that i think they're capable of 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think Tyler Adams had a couple moments in possession where he gave the ball away, some sloppy passes, but he he does what he does really well on the other on the other side of the ball, defensively covering ground, covering space, interceptions, all that stuff. I thought was typical Tyler Adams, but there were some moments where some passes didn't come off that put them in dangerous play, dangerous positions. If El Salvador had the ability to to actually take advantage of it, which they didn't tonight, and I would agree with you. I mean, it was a you know, it was there were there were these little moments of blips of you know Eunice Musa spinning past some defenders and and having those moments where the ball banging off of him and somehow he's able to keep it as he runs by <laughs> two or three guys and Weston you know making a couple runs forward where you think okay we're gonna get some of what we've seen. He's from Weston with another guy that that probably should have had a goal. Tonight. Yeah, yeah, he should have on the header, wide open header. Um so yeah, it was, it just was, I agree with you at the very beginning of the show, Sam. It just felt kind of blah overall tonight. And I, I don't know. You're right. There are all these reasons why maybe being in Columbus again and it's El Salvador and what, and I, everyone's kind of peaking. I think everyone's peaking at Canada because everyone's excited for that game because Canada's good. They're good. And they're going to be up for that one. And it's, the weather's going to be an issue. There could be a storm coming in. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. Um, you know, the crowd, I don't believe it's going to be full capacity, but it's going to be wild. The people that are going to be there at the donut box at Tim Horton's field. Um, so yeah, that one's going to be fun. That's one that we've had circled for a long time, Paul. Well, let's take a quick break here. We'll come back. We'll look ahead towards that match. We'll talk about it a little bit more and then wrap up any kind of stray thoughts that we have about this El Salvador match. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We are back on Allocation Disorder. We've talked a lot about the El Salvador-USMNT game, Americans with a 1-0 win to move in a stay in second place, really just like kind of shore up their solid position in qualifying. But Paul, the big one is on Sunday at first place Canada. They're coming off a 2-0 win down in Honduras, a traditional house of horrors for them. That place has been a disaster zone for Canada to the tune of like six and seven one losses in must win games. <laughs> really bad. Really bad news for Canada most of the time down in that country. I'll just put it to you like this. What are you anticipating from that crowd, from that game, from John Herdman? Uh they're they're not gonna have Alfonso Davies. They might not have Steven Eustachio, but they're gonna have Kyle Laren and Jonathan David and Tejan Buchanan and some others. Yeah, I mean I think it's gonna be a, a, a... A really tough challenge for the U.S. team. And we saw when they played Canada, I thought Herdman had a really good good plan in Nashville back in September. They sat in a low block. They made things really difficult, and they countered it. Countered through uh, Alfonso Davies on the left, Tejan Buchanan on the right, and they made things difficult. And they were able to get a point in Nashville. And I don't think we'll see that. You know, I don't think we'll see that at home, that they're going to sit back. They're not going to have Alfonso Davies to run the counter through. But I, 
I think that they create some really tough matchup problems. And and I'm interested to see whether or not he goes with a two-striker formation the way Herdman does, what the way he did tonight. I, I would be surprised. I, I think he might go back to the one-striker formation, start Jonathan David or start Kyle Lahren and be able to bring the other one off the bench, which I think causes real you know, real headaches for a team. If you deal with somebody like Jonathan David for 70 minutes and he wears you down and he's physical and he's fast and he's technical and he does all these things really well. And then he leaves and on comes a fresh Kyle Lahren. That's tough. Or, or Who's also all of those things. Right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think the U.S. is going to be up for this game, too. They, you know, just like we are peeking at the table and saying, OK, there's some chances here. They recognize it, too. And. I think you're going to get a really high level game in this one. I think, I think there's going to be, I think both of these teams recognize that they have a chance to seize, really, really seize the birth to guitar. Maybe it doesn't happen in this window, but if the U S gets a point and they're able, and Honduras is not very good. So if they're able to come home and beat Honduras, you're going to the Azteca needing a point or a Panama loss pretty much you know, going into that final window so or a Costa Rica loss. So you're in a really, 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 to your point earlier, like unless you really mess things up, you're going to the World Cup. And that's huge motivation. And this is the game that, that could dictate it. So I think it's going to be – I'm excited about it. Man, me too. This Like this is such a fascinating matchup to me, both – for for a lot of reasons, honestly. One, this is becoming a rivalry. We're witnessing the birth of a rivalry. And you can say, oh, well, Canada, U.S., there was like always a little bit of like maybe hostility there on the part of Canada looking towards the U.S., but it, was, it wasn't a rivalry. Canada wasn't any good, you know? The matchups weren't interesting. They, they never happened in qualifying, right? But like this Canada team has legit star players, and they give the U.S. trouble. And they're like, it's cool to watch a team on the rise in them. Like it, it sort of reminds me of the U S like pre 2002 world cup when they're going after Mexico. Right. And it's sort of like this chip on your shoulder and you got to prove to the world and make a statement and all that stuff. And I think Canada's in a similar place there. So that's cool. And then the last time these two teams played in Canada was a match that I was in attendance for at BMO Field in Toronto in a Nations League group stage in October of 2019. And Josh Cloak, our intrepid Canadian correspondent, and I have a story coming out, I hope maybe on Friday, maybe Saturday, I don't know. It'll be out before the game. Um, on that match and how it was a real turning point for both teams, right? For Canada, it was kind of a statement of, okay, we can do this, Right. Like, we're here and we're proving it to ourselves and our country that, like, we're kind of legit. And for the U.S., it was, like, a turning point in that it was kind of the last game that Burhalter was trying to do that build out of the back square peg and round hole. And after he really kind of leaned into that transition, press, get vertical, go strategy that we've seen really bear solid fruit over the course of qualifying. So I'm intrigued by it. I agree. I think Canada will come out and play a little bit more, um, which I think will make for a more interesting, exciting game than what we saw in Nashville. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it a lot. Um, I'm excited. And I think this one could be one that we look back on for years to come as like the real birth of a legitimate CONCACAF rivalry. 
And, and Sam, really, for me, the takeaway out of this night was the results went in the way, other than Mexico coming back to win in Jamaica, went the way that both of these teams wanted, and it it put more stakes on this game. You know, by just by Costa Rica, by Brian Ruiz scoring a goal and giving Costa Rica a win, it set up some real dramatic moments. 63-year-old Brian 63-year-old Ruiz. 63-year-old Brian Ruiz, who doesn't start for his club team, but calls gets called in for the national team. And then scores goals to win games. It it makes this game matter, and that was the takeaway out of this this first game of this window, is that you have now a little bit of separation with the top three from everyone else. You've got a real competition happening between Panama and Costa Rica for the fourth spot, and this Canada USA game, the intrigue is upped, and I hope for our sake. For the stories we get to write, that we get something really exciting because tonight was less of that. It <laughs> 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 was not as fun. Womp womp. <laughs> um, but, and, and like, it's, it's like, I love going to Hamilton and playing on a turf field on, in a CFL stadium, you know, and we're going to get, I hope, like some really good Herdman quotes. The home of the Tiger Cats, man. He's, he's my favorite person in CONCACAF, John Herdman. My favorite, Your favorite person. person? Yeah. I mean, New Who is technically in CONCACAF. No, so. he is definitely not. He's currently I mean, like very much not in CONCACAF. He's going to be playing he's, in the CONCACAF Champions League in like two weeks. He's missing the CONCA. Well, whatever. Agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Before we go, just a quick roundup of the, of the CONCACAF octagonal standings. Canada, as we mentioned, they're atop the group. 19 points, USA 18, Mexico 17, Panama 14, Costa Rica 12, Jamaica 7, El Salvador 6, Honduras way in the back with just three. Um, Mexico plays Costa Rica and Panama to close the window. Uh, USA, obviously Canada and Honduras. Canada flip those. They play USA and El Salvador to, to ice that out. Um, that Mexico Panama game. If, if Mexico wins that game, Right, they could be looking at potentially twenty-three points. Panama, who hosts Jamaica, could be looking maybe at seventeen, maybe at fifteen, maybe at fourteen. USA, maybe on twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-four. There could be some real separation. And, and Paul, just one last note here: that fourth-place team is going to a playoff against the winner of Oceania, which is a huge, huge break. You don't want to be playing against the team from South America or even the team from Asia. In that playoff, like you want New Zealand, and you'll probably feel pretty good about yourself in that matchup. So really, it's top four. Feel good about a World Cup. Um, and the USA, I think, I'm going to say it, they'll be in good position. Maybe that match at Azteca in March is a winner clinches contest, which, I mean, that would be awesome, huh? What I'm rooting for. And what you're saying, Sam, is there's a Lloyd Christmas thing moment happening for Costa Rica right now. <laughs> there's a Lloyd Christmas moment happening for Costa Rica. Yeah, man. You know, two, win- forced, two windows ago, on. Costa Rica fans, my family, were very <laughs> we down. Go. They were very down. <laughs> and now they're two points out of fourth. They got to go to Mexico, but they have a chance. They have a yeah, chance. Big time chance. Um, anyway, you have a chance of listening to a different podcast because ours is over. Thanks for listening to Allocation Disorder. We'll be back on Sunday after the U.S.-Canada game with another post-game show. Until then, I'm Sam. He's Paul. This has been Allocation Disorder. Allocation Disorder.